If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books of the New Testament. They all tell the same story, the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. I like the Gospel of Mark the best because it's quick, it's action-packed, and I love that it comes from the Apostle Peter's perspective. And today we're going to look at Peter's perspective of the resurrection, and we're going to look at the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection, which was three different women. And my, my goal today, my hope today, is that I would give you an appetite for Jesus Christ. Uh, I feel a lot of pressure on Easter Sunday. Uh, it, it's the Super Bowl for pastors. This is a, I, I preach 45, 46 times a year, but this is, this is the big one. And the pressure I feel is not because you guys are all here. The pressure I feel is because of how big the message is. I want you so badly to see what I see. I want you so badly to experience the risen Jesus as I have experienced him. I thought about what the pressure feels like, and it kind of came to me a couple weeks ago. I took somebody to watch a movie that I had already seen, and I told them how much I liked the movie. I told them it was a good movie. And you know when you put your reputation on the line like that, what are you doing? When you're showing somebody a Netflix show or you're showing somebody a YouTube video, you find yourself looking at them more than the video because you're just hoping that they like it as much as you like it. You know, like uh, you tell somebody to watch a Netflix show and you can tell they don't really like it at first and people always say, well, just wait, it gets better, I promise. You, you just got to get to episode 12, season 7, and you're going you're gonna to love this show. I'm not kidding you. That, that's the kind of pressure I feel. I feel like I'm looking at this text. We're looking at the same thing. And I just I want you to experience it. That's why on our walls, if you walk out of here, we say we want you to experience salvation. Because we're all in the Bible Belt. You know about salvation. You know about Jesus. You know what I'm going to preach today. You know I'm going to say he walked out of the tomb and he is alive and he is risen. But I want you to experience it. I want it to be real for you. It's, it's kind of like the Food Network. Uh, I always watch the Food Network at night. I don't know why. But uh, when Guy Fieri comes on, that man can explain how good food is. You know what I mean? He, he explains it so good that you are hungry. And when you live in Woodward, Oklahoma, you don't even have any options. <laughs> All you have is what's in your pantry. And I don't know how many times I've went and I've opened the pantry like four or five different times just praying to God that there'd be a miracle and there'd be something good in my pantry. And there's still just healthy stuff that my wife put in there. But on Easter, I feel like kind of like Guy Fieri. I'm telling you how good the steak is. And it doesn't matter how good I tell you the steak is. I mean, I can make you drool by telling you how good it is. The only way you can taste it is by getting in the car and going to the restaurant and tasting it for yourself. I can't make you taste it. Uh, we can think of it this way. I, I am afraid on Easter Sunday, I'm going to give you a secondhand high. I, uh, I, if Jesus were a drug, then I would want you to smoke it yourself. Now... I realize I'm probably the only pastor, probably in the world, that just compared Jesus to a drug on Easter Sunday. But, but stick with me, because I believe that this is really, truly the best metaphor I can give you. Uh, if I were trying to get somebody to take a drug, medically speaking, of course. Let's say I'm a pharmacist. I'm not a drug dealer. Look at me. Do you think I would survive as a drug dealer? No. I'm your friendly pharmacist, and there's a new drug. And I want you to participate in this drug. What am I going to do? I'm going to begin to tell you the benefits of the drug. I'm going to tell you why you ought to take this drug. And friends, that's what I want to do today. My goal is not to convince you of the resurrection. My goal is not to just get you kind of celebrating and excited because I stirred it up in you and you have like a secondhand high off of me. No, my only goal today is to tell you the benefits of Jesus for me that I've experienced when I experienced the risen Savior. 
And my hope is, is I give you a desire to want to get in your car and go to the pharmacy. And at the end, I'm going to tell you how to get to the pharmacy if you want to get to the pharmacy. But that is my only goal today. And I want to be clear, this is not just for people who have never experienced Jesus. Because I think if we were to look out here, the majority of us would call ourselves Christians. But what I want you to know, this isn't a one and done kind of drug. I need more of the resurrected Jesus. I pray for more and more of his glory every day. Because the more of Jesus I get, the more of these benefits I experience. The closer I get to Jesus, I find new levels of joy. You never run out of joy when you come to Jesus Christ. So I want you to experience it, whether it's for the first time or you've been a Christian for 65 years and you're getting real close to seeing Jesus. I want you to experience even more of it today. So let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. I got three benefits to experiencing the risen Savior. Father God, I need you. As I preach this sermon, I need your help. All I can do is tell people how good you are. But for any change to actually take place, you've got to open the eyes of their hearts. You've got to open the ears of their hearts that they might see this message for what it is. God, I believe that there's a difference in what I'm doing and somebody else who's doing public speaking. Because when I speak, I I believe it because you tell me that there's something special that happens when God's people gather and we preach out of God's word. The Holy Spirit shows up and does things that I can't fully explain. And I'm praying for that. God, I pray for some of these people by name. And I pray that today, Lord, you would give them a clearer vision of who you are. That they would leave here, not just going to the bounce houses, forgetting everything I've said, but they would leave here with an appetite and a hunger for more of you. God, we love you and we thank you. Amen. Three things that I believe will happen if you experience the risen Savior. You'll sleep better, you'll work better, and you'll die better. I think we would all like a drug that does all three of those things. Maybe not to die better, but I'll explain that when we get to it. Uh, Number one is you will sleep better. And the reason why I think you will sleep better is because Jesus is the king of the cosmos. And when you experience it, you know it at a different level. Not just a mental level, but when I'm experiencing the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, I'm experiencing him as the king of the cosmos, and that helps me sleep a lot better. Look at Mark 16, verse 1 with me. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, which Mary the mother of James is uh, the mother of James and John the disciples, and their name is Sons of Thunder. That's their nickname. Sounds like a WWE tag team. Wouldn't you like to have a nickname like that? Sons of Thunder. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just... Every time I come across the sons of thunder, I got to mention it. Okay. Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices, bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Now, there are only two reasons why you would anoint somebody. You would anoint them if they were the king or you would anoint them if they were dead. They're going because they think they are going to anoint Jesus as a dead man. But when they arrive, what they find is that God has already anointed him as the king of the cosmos. And if you're here today as a skeptic, if you say, man, this is really hard for me to believe. Here's what I want you to know. There's a lot of encouragement in this verse. Because here are three disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this day, they are not believers. They are skeptics. They're coming to the tomb and they're not coming to the tomb in their Easter best, expecting for Jesus to be risen from the dead. They're coming with spices so that they might anoint his dead body so that as it decays and people come visit, they don't have to smell the stench of a decaying body. 
And it's easy for us, on the other side of the resurrection, to be very critical of these three women. Because if you read the Gospels over and over, Jesus is very clear. He says, guys, I am going to be handed over. They are going to kill me. And then three days later, I am going to raise myself from the dead. He says it over and over and over. And then we look at this on Easter Sunday and we're like, you knuckleheads. You should have been outside for the very first sunrise service. You should have been there waiting. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, Jesus! But that's not what they're doing. They're going to anoint his dead body. They're skeptics. And I think we ought to cut them a break because, for one, they had never seen this happen. You know, if I told you that I was going to raise myself from the dead, you'd probably have a hard time believing it when you saw my body in a casket. And nobody had ever done this before. And let's be fair, Jesus isn't always the clearest. He kind of speaks like Yoda a lot. He talks in parables a lot. And uh, I can just imagine Peter hearing Jesus say something about rising from the dead. And then Jesus saying, do you understand? And Peter going, oh, yeah, of course I understand. And then a little bit later, finding the other apostle, John, and saying, do you understand what he said? Because I have no idea, but I don't want to look stupid. <laughs> he, they probably thought it was some kind of parable. Or Jesus often did this, too. He answered a question with a question, which I don't know about you men, but this happens in my house all the time. Uh, you just tell me if this happens to you as well. But uh, when it's time for dinner, I'll ask my wife a question expecting an answer. What do you want for dinner? And she doesn't give me an answer. You know what she does? She answers my question with a question. I don't know. What do you want? Which is just totally annoying. It's like, you tell me because I know she wants something. Because if I say Carl's Jr., she says, we're not going to Carl's Jr. So it's like, tell me what you want. Again, nothing to do with the sermon. Just therapy for me up here. <laughs> Jesus was, was often kind of muddled up like that. So we can't really blame them. But the reality is true that when they came, they thought that they were doing one last act of service for the rabbi that they followed. But what they found was they were actually just beginning a lifetime of service to the king of the universe. They thought they were anointing a dead man, and they are coming, and they are going to anoint him as the king of the universe. Now you say, Blake, why does this give you the, the courage or, or the, the help to sleep better at night? How does this help your anxiety? Well, let me tell you, when I'm doing something that matters, I like somebody competent to be in charge. Uh, when I fly by plane, which is usually how I fly, um, <laughs> when I get on the airplane, the first thing I do is I look to the left. And you're not supposed to judge a book by the cover, but when I get on an airplane, I'm judging the book by the cover. Because when I look to the left, I'm looking in the cockpit, and I want to see who my pilots are. And I judge them. I don't know how long they've been flying, but if they look to be under the age of 60, I tell you what, I pray a lot more on takeoff and on landing. Now, I am all for young pilots, and I want you to get experience. If you're a kid here today and you want to be a pilot, I want you to be a pilot. I want you to get all the experience you need. I just don't want you to get experience on my airplane. I want a pilot that is so old, that has been flying for so long, that even if the brother has a stroke, he can land it by muscle memory. <laughs> I want a competent pilot. Uh, we, this is my, my daughter Blakely's very first Easter, uh, and she was born in October. What I didn't know about the hospital that she was born in until we got there was that it is a quote-unquote training hospital. Now, I didn't say anything to my wife because it wouldn't have been the right time to say anything. Uh, but in my, in my mind, when they told us that, I thought, well, I would much rather go to the trained hospital. <laughs> where do they send you all after this deal? Because that's where I want to be. I don't, I don't want you to practice on me. Practice on somebody else. Because when you know that somebody is competent, you trust them a lot better. The turbulence doesn't bother you as much when you know you've got a good pilot. Well, friends, if you look at this world and you think any of the knuckleheads in Washington, D.C., or anywhere else in the world are in charge, you have no reason to sleep well at night. 
and, and to make it personal, if you think you're in charge of your own life, your decisions are going to make all the difference and it's all on you to make the right decisions, I don't know about you, but when I think about my own life as the king of my life, that doesn't give me much confidence. Oftentimes I think I'm doing the right thing and I'm not doing the right thing. I don't sleep well. I'm anxious. But when I remember, when I remember that the grave is empty and that the risen Jesus is the king of my life and the king of this world, I sleep a lot better at night. I don't have to freak out as much because I know it might look dark outside, but I also know that Jesus is the sun who is constantly rising. And at the end of it all, we will see things that we cannot even imagine. And I've seen him do it so many times in my own life where things looked like they were going the wrong direction. And Jesus shows up in a way that I can't fully explain. Why? Because he's the king. And when I trust in him, when I participate in him, I am far less anxious. I sleep a lot better at night. Now, some of you, you say, Blake, I don't need help sleeping. All I need is you to start preaching and I'll fall asleep. And that's okay because you might like the next benefit. If you, if, you, if you have trouble, you don't have trouble sleeping, how about Jesus helps you with your work? He gives purpose and meaning to our work. Why? Well, because Easter is not the end of Jesus' story. It's the beginning of Jesus' story. And he is starting something that he wants us to participate in and to finish with him. Look at verse 2 with me. It says, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. Now, because we are bacon-eating Gentiles, we don't really see all of the, the Jewish allusions that Peter is putting into the text right here. John Mark, through the words of Peter, is putting it to the text here. Uh, when it says the first day of the week, we don't think much about that. It's just it's the first day of the week. But it's pointing us towards something. Because you'll notice that in verse 1 it says, this all happened when the Sabbath was over. Now, if you were Jewish, your mind would immediately go back to what? You'd go back to Genesis 1. The poet, the poetry that is in Hebrew that talks about God creating the world. Now, we're all Western scientific, so we think about, does this really happen or did that really happen? I don't think that's the point that the author in Genesis is trying to get across. He's trying to tell us something about God. And what does it say God does? It says that he worked for six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. He took a Sabbath. What did Jesus do on the Passion Week? On the sixth day, he's on the cross, taking my place and your place, dying for the sins of the world. And his last words are what? It is finished. His work is finished. On the seventh day, on the Sabbath, what does Jesus' body do? It rests in a tomb. So what we call Sunday, the first day of the week for us, uh, would have been you know, the eighth day if we think about it going on. And the number eight in the Bible, or the, number, the first day of the week, always represents a new age. In other words, that age of human death, of human rebellion, is over. And Jesus has started something brand new. And I love the, the illustration that it gives. Now this really did happen. If there was a camera there, we would really see it. But I love the illustration of the sunrise, because that's exactly what it's like. See, Jesus could have fixed everything like that. The world could have been a great place immediately, but that's not what he wanted to do because God always wanted to dwell and work with his people. And so he's invited us into this plan. And when Jesus raises from the dead, it's not the end of his story. It's the very beginning of this human age in which we partner with Jesus and recreate the world around us. You see, it's not just about you becoming new life. It's about us going into the world and making it more like Jesus Christ would want us to make it. You can think of the resurrection kind of like uh, lighting a piece of paper on fire. If, if you take a lighter and you light the corner of a piece of paper, what happens before long? The whole paper is consumed. It is started from one little fire, but it consumes the whole page. That's what Easter Sunday is. Jesus is a brand new creation walking into this old world, and that is the flame 
that has begun to conquer the entire world. And what we find as people is as we become new creations, we then begin to recreate the world around us. This gives us so much purpose. See, when you go to work, you're not just going to work. You're going to work representing Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 says this amazing thing. It says that we as his body are the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. In other words, what Jesus wants is he wants the gospel all over the world, completely transforming it. And the way he does it is through knuckleheads like me. Can you believe that? The way that he fills all things is through us, his church. That gives me so much more purpose when I go to work. When I go to work, I'm not just going to work. I'm bringing justice and love and mercy and peace with me. When I show up and when you show up, those who are poor, those who are outcast, those who are downtrodden should rejoice. You know why? Because when we come, Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, things begin to change. I love what N.T. Wright says about how it affects our everyday life. It says, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities aren't simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind altogether. No, they are a part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. I don't just go to work for money, and I feel sad for you if you do, because money's going to go away. I don't just go to work just to pass the time because I'm human and that's what I'm supposed to do. I go to work because I actually believe that what I'm doing right now, I can't fully explain it, but in some kind of mystical way, because of the resurrection of Jesus, what I'm doing right now will last 30,000 years. 30,000 years from now, I'll be able to look back on this Easter message and it will count for something. When I die, my work doesn't die with me. God will use everything I do for his kingdom to make the kingdom brand new and it will last forever. That doesn't change the way you show up to work. I don't know what would. That'll make you work better. You sleep better, you work better. Number three, here's the last one. You die better because Jesus lives. Because you know that Jesus is alive, it'll help you die better. Mark 16, verses 3 and 4. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Now, the Romans took extra care to make sure nobody could steal the body of Jesus. They put guards outside, and they sealed it off really good. They didn't want anybody to open it from the outside. But what they didn't account for was that somebody might open it from the inside. And that's exactly what has gone on here. Jesus is alive. He's not there anymore. He can overcome the the tomb that you and I will go into one day. This should change everything about the way that we live. Because what Jesus is promising us is that we get to go against the second law of thermodynamics. Now, I'll just refresh your memory because I'm sure you all know the laws of thermodynamics, but I had to Google it this week. Uh, the, The second law of thermodynamics is that everything is always falling apart. Everything reaches an age of maturity and then it falls apart after that. I am uh, 27, I'll be 28, and I've I've hit my peak. Uh, It's all downhill from here. And I've been uh, been pretty frightened uh, this year because the gray hairs are multiplying. Something about being a father maybe, I don't know. The gray hairs are coming in, and what I know is that I'm only going to get more gray hairs. Ten years from now, I'm not going to have less gray hairs. In fact, what I'm really worried about, especially looking at some of you guys, uh, (laughs) in ten years, I just hope I have hair, you know? It's 
seems like second law of thermodynamics makes hairs stop growing here and it starts growing out of your nose and your ears. And I don't want that. But that seems to be what happens. See, dead things don't come to life. Living things go to death. That's what we all know. You look at the world, you know it. And yet Jesus does everything backwards. And we see this in his teaching and his ministry. He would go to somebody who was sick and he would touch the sick person and he wouldn't get sick. The sick person would get well. He'd go to a dirty person and he would touch the dirty person and the dirty person wouldn't get or the clean person wouldn't get dirty. The dirty person would get clean. He would go to dead people and he would touch their dead bodies and then they would begin to breathe. He reversed the laws of thermodynamics. And friends, what he's promised is that he'll do the same for us. Just as Jesus went to the tomb and we will one day go to the casket, we also believe that as Jesus walked out of the tomb, we also will one day walk out of the casket. This is our hope as Christians. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. But, at, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Now, friends, if you really believe this, not just believe it up here or say amen to the preacher because you're getting a secondhand high off of my excitement, but I, I mean in the darkness of the night, if you've experienced the risen Jesus Christ, you know what this does for your life? <laughs> You're not afraid of anything. This gives you complete and total courage. But we can say along with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can't touch a person like that. <laughs> you just, you can't. The Apostle Paul, they didn't know what to do with him because they said, Paul, we're going to put you in prison. And he said, oh, would you please? Because then you can chain one of your Roman soldiers to me and I'll just preach the gospel to him all day. And they said, okay, Paul, well then, fine, we're going to kill you. And he said, oh, would you please chop my head off? I would just love it. Because then I'm going to be with my Savior. And when you have that kind of perspective on life, what can anybody do to you? Nothing. Because you don't have to fear death anymore. And the worst thing this world can do to you is actually the best thing that could ever happen to you. Because you're with your Lord and your Savior. That completely changes the way I live about my own life. But friends, it also helps me when I'm suffering in this world. And I think about other people. Uh, I talked about it last week on Palm Sunday, but it's just been rattling around in my mind because I just I can't imagine the pain, especially since I have a daughter now this year. The pastor of the church in Nashville, uh, whose daughter was killed in the shootings, has just been on my heart so heavy, uh, especially on Easter Sunday. And uh, his statement is just so full of courage and so full of hope. You know, everybody wants to hear what he's going to say because his daughter died. And if it was me, unless the grace of God showed up, I don't know really what I would say. I might get on to some people for making it political when all I care about is that I lost my baby girl. Uh, or or I, I might say something about God not showing up for me because it feels like I'm in the tomb. But that's not what this pastor said. He just released one line. And in that one line, he said, through tears in our eyes, we believe that she's in the arms of Jesus. And she'll stay there until the day he resurrects her little body again. Friends, you only have that kind of hope in the midst of suffering if you actually believe that Jesus has risen and he will actually do the same for you. And I want you to have that kind of hope. I want you to be able to bury your loved ones in Christ and to know that that's just a seed of what is to come. To know that the, the suffering we have is a short amount of suffering because one day Woodward Cemetery is going to start shaking and tombs are going to start opening and those people are going to walk out into a brand new world with brand new bodies. I want you guys to believe that, and it's only through experience of the risen Christ that you can. 
So I believe that you sleep better, you work better, you'll die better. I'd give you 100 more, but you guys would probably not like that. So we'll just go with those three benefits for now. Now, maybe I have you. You say, Blake, how do I get to the pharmacy? I'm firing up the old truck. I want to go. You've given me a taste for it. How do I experience it for myself? Not just know about it, but experience it. Well, I think the end of the text here helps us. Verses 5 through 7. And if the band, you guys want to go ahead and come back up, that'll help me close faster. I'm a Baptist, so when I say finally, it doesn't necessarily mean immediately. Verse 5. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. That might be an understatement of the world. They were alarmed. Can you imagine showing up to the cemetery, visiting your loved one? You see the casket up out of the ground, and it's open, and you look in it, and you're like, well, what happened to Grandpa Jim? And, <laughs> and then you look up, and there's an angel sitting on the tombstone. You're going to be alarmed. I don't care what anybody says. You're alarmed. And these, these women are probably thinking, what did Peter put in the brownies this time? You know, we, we cannot believe what we are seeing. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, which is always helpful. You know, when you're freaking out, and somebody says, don't freak out. That, that always works. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. That's the first step to experiencing this. You've got to see the place where they put him. Because what you're going to find is there's nothing there. There has been a lot of great moral teachers that have lived. There's been a lot of great political leaders who have lived. And they've all had a Friday like Jesus. They're all dead and gone. Muhammad, Buddha, Buddha, all of them. They're all dead. And I can take you to many of their tombs. And I can show you where they are. And we can dig up their body. And we can see their bones. But you cannot do the same for Jesus. You cannot be taken to his tomb. You cannot see his body. You know why? Because he is not there. That's where the faith of all of us begins. We know that something happened, that Jesus died, and then he rose from the dead. Look at the tomb, see that he is not there. And then it says this, verse 7, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. You notice the order? It doesn't say you'll see and then you can go. It says go and then you will see. I tell people this every single Easter. I want you to go all out for a year trying to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus with us. Follow Jesus with another local church. I don't care where you do it. But here's what I know. I promise you, when people follow and seek after Jesus with all their heart, when they want to find him, when they, when they are hungry for Jesus and they're pursuing Jesus before they have it all figured out, when they follow him to come and see who he is, he always, 100% of the time, shows up. And friends, this is an offer too good for you to pass up on. Don't you think you should at least try? I mean, I mean, I get scam calls all the time. I don't ever answer them. Sometimes I do answer them and I regret it because then they call me 20 times. It's always some little guy in India and I want to just grab him by the neck and throw him. But friends, even if you were to get you know, a letter in the mail and it looked kind of official or, or you were to have one of those India guys call you and they said, your relative has left you $2.5 million, you might not believe it, but wouldn't it be worth checking out? <laughs> Wouldn't you want to be sure that this wasn't something to check out? Well, friends, let me tell you what's infinitely more important and more valuable than $2.5 million. It's the resurrected Jesus Christ that you can experience. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to praise him with our voices. Father God, I thank you for every person that is here today. I don't believe it is an accident. I believe you wanted everybody here today who is here. And God, I did all that I can do, but I pray that only now you can do what only you can do. That you would open the eyes of their hearts. That you would give them what they need to pursue after you this year. 
God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Friends, let's lift our voices and sing.